Today we talk about there is a time for everything. There is a time, as Solomon penned those words, a time to love, a time to hate, a time to live, a time to die. I mean, there is life is sectionalized in different purposes and different means. I was thinking about that theme this week, and I was thinking about the jobs that we hold, because we all have uh, different jobs. Somebody told me before we started, just an amazing answer to prayer, and uh, been praying for a job, and wow, I'm not supposed to cry until page three, but I, I was just so moved by that, and um, God is God is and uh, so meticulously involved in who we are. But I was thinking about different jobs and the, and what we have, and it'd be interesting to go out if we had all the time in the world just to go around the room and say, what kind of job do you have? I happened to run across some peculiar job titles, and uh, they're uh, they're ones that perhaps you may not have heard about before, but I thought I'd show you a few pictures just to uh, kind of give you an idea of some odd jobs out there. Now, Russell Kleinbach is a bride kidnapping expert. <laughs> now, this is a legit job. This guy, if he if he detects that a woman has been forced into marriage uh, and is getting ready to get married, that's when they send Russell in. That's got to be an interesting job. But maybe not as interesting as this one. Here's one. Uh, Dr. Tom Hart is a penguinologist. I didn't know they had such things. Study The study of penguins, uh, but not to be topped out by this one, which is uh, L- Ludwig Dahl's in charge of the big door. Not sure what that is, like Home Depot, or uh, that's got a pretty big door. Is, I don't know. Is it like St. Peter at the Golden Gate? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the big door. Um, here's one for you. How about this? Ben Metcalf is chief troublemaker. Now, I know there are people in this room that that's your job title. I just know you. Oh, how about this? Here's one for you. Production coordinator, researcher, head of potatoes, Sarah Robertson, right there at the bottom. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to even know what, what that is. How about this one? Here's one for you. Richard Shuraman, uh, Shuraman was shredded cheese authority. See, I'm thinking that you know you're at a party. Say, who are you? Well, you got to say it like I'm Richard Sherman. I'm a shredded cheese authority. You got to kind of look down at people when you say that, since you got authority in your title. And finally, here's one for you. How about this? Cat behavior consultant. I could use one of those. Uh, Does that guy look like he could be? Yes, he does. Actually, he does look like a cat behavior consultant. The crazy thing about, you can take him off the screen, please. Thank you. (laughs) Have you ever seen a whole room full of people going, they're still looking. Jeez. When you think about these jobs, they're actually no different than yours because they're specific in their job title. I don't know of anyone that can just show up to whatever job that you're doing and say, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, let's say you're putting together uh, uh, pieces on a on a uh, conveyor belt. Say, you know what? I think I'll be manager today. I don't think anybody can do that. If you're a painter, you go and you paint. You don't mess with the electricity if you're in a, in a construction site. That's what you do. And not only do we have a specific job title and task, for most time, the most of the time we have a timeline in which we're supposed to get the job done. We could say it's a season. If I hire a painter to paint my house, I'm assuming that it can be done within weeks. 
if I come back in October and he's still painting my house, we're going to have a conversation. If I come back and he's painting the wrong house, we're really going to have a conversation. So all of our jobs, for the most part, are here's what you need to do in a given time. The message today is about the song that we just sang, that we just heard. There is a season for everything. And in this day and time, God has a specific job title, a specific job description, and there is a very specific limited amount of time in which you get that job done. Now, if you're sitting here, if I might just go ahead and put the pedal down, and you think, that's really not of interest to me, I would ask that you would recalibrate or at least be open to being recalibrated by God. And I'll tell you why. Because anything that matters to God should matter to us. Now, I fully well know that I've had chapters in my life that, quite frankly, I don't care. I don't really care what God thinks. I'm more caring what I think. God might have said to me, I need you to paint the living room purple, and I've ended up painting the bathroom pink. God says, I need you to do this. I'm like, I just, there, there's an indifference that I have. We are on the planet, not just to breathe in oxygen. I think that would be obvious to all of us. We are not on the planet just to do good, as one major religious leader in the world said this week in the news. We're not just here to be good people. We're not just here to be a good father, a good mother, a good student, a good worker. That's all great and all fine. But that is not the primary purpose why God has put us on this planet for this season. In fact, behind me, you'll see uh, props. I only go with quality props, my friends. <laughs> my eight and nine-year-old boys are earning a little cash for vacation coming up here. And this was one of our projects. Hey, dad's running a little behind schedule. I need some props here. That's what we got. We got the Easter spring colors. Each of these is going to represent a season in the timeline of human history beginning with Adam. I'll tell you a little bit more later. The reason that we're talking about these things is that when we accomplish the job that God has given for us to do, we stand a higher chance of displaying who he really is in the world. If we do our own thing, our own job description, at our own pace, we're very unlikely to show Christ in the world. And above all the reasons that we live on this planet, it's to glorify God and to get done the thing that he's asked us to get done. We find ourselves in the first chapter of Genesis again in this series of conversations called Fingerprint. We are going verse by verse through the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And the reason that we're doing that is that in each day of creation, we're finding that God sets forth a trait, a core characteristic of himself that's unique, a fingerprint, as it were, that we can trace who he is by what he did in those first seven days. And once we see what he's done there today, for example, on day four, you can easily and clearly trace it 
through nearly every page of Scripture. He's so consistent. So today we find ourselves in the 14th verse of Genesis chapter 1, if you have your own Bible with you. If not, you can follow along on the screen. And we find ourselves on day 4. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. He's speaking of the sun and the moon. I'll remind you that on day one, there was light. God said, let there be light prior to the sun and the moon being in the sky. It took him four days. The reason we discovered is that God is light. We're told in heaven, there will be no need for sun, no need for moon, because the incredible, miraculous, beyond your comprehension, freak your mind out, power of God's light will light up heaven. We cannot comprehend that from this dimension. No more than the Israelites could comprehend the glow on Moses' face when he came down the mountain because they were freaked out when they saw it. So what we're seeing here is that God finally puts the sun and the moon in the sky, but not just for the sole purpose of providing light, but for another reason that we'll see here. He says, let them serve, the sun and the moon, serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. So when we begin to look at God's characteristics here, let me remind you that we're told in the scriptures that the things that we see that are visible teach us about the things that are invisible. That's why Jesus told stories. He understood how we think. You know about fish? Let me tell you about fish. Let me tell you a fishing story because it pictures a spiritual truth. Let me tell you about seeds. He's talking to farmers. Let me tell you about the sea, the ocean, and everything because he's compassionate enough to meet us at our level. And so God reminds us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, he says this, Since the creation of the world, Genesis chapter 1, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have clearly been seen. How? Being understood from what is made. So when we see that God is dividing up seasons and days and years, trust me when I say to you, that it's not for us. God needs no demarcation of time. When we get to heaven and we say, hey man, do you have a watch? Somebody's going to say, you're a nut. We're in heaven. We need no watch. No one will be asking in heaven, is this winter or is this spring? Because in human existence, they're very distinct. Leaves fall in the, in the autumn uh, and buds come out in the spring. Snowbirds come down in the winter, snowbirds go back in the spring and in the summer. There are distinct things that happen in different seasons, and there are unique things that happen in different seasons. God set it up that way physically, and the message today is that we're actually seeing by those physical things something of God's invisible qualities. In Psalm 104, like we looked at last week, it is amazing that David, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later than Genesis, the creation, was given details about the creation and what and what, why it was happening. 
Psalm 104, for example, and verse 19. You, God, have made the moon, there it is again, to mark the seasons, not just to give light. And the sun knows when to go down. Now, here's how it works in the physical world. You bring darkness. In other words, it's nighttime. It becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest prowl. It's the time for lions and tigers and bears. Very good. Very, very good. Much better than 845 because they kind of went like this. Lions and tigers and bears. Yeah. Go watch The Wizard of Oz. You can rent it for a buck. So nighttime is a time where animals come out from the forest. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. Then what happens is the sun rises and they steal away. It's now not their time. They return. That's why you go to a zoo during the middle of the day and all the lions are sleeping. It's really boring because they're out during the night. They return. They lie down in their dens. Now the sun comes up. Okay, new day, new season, new unique. Now man goes out to his work to labor until the evening when it's time then again for the animals. In other words, here it is. God is a God of demarcation of seasons and times. Now, you're thinking, okay, I'm not excited about that yet, but here it is. In the history of human beings, there are seasons of time when God has promised things that he didn't promise to anybody else. There are times in every unique season and time where God says, for this season, For this particular time, for this day, as Paul would call it, I am giving you a specific task that I have not given to anybody else ever. Let me give an example. We find that when Christ comes in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we read these words. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Doesn't that mean that God could have sent him any time? Well, sure he could have. God is God. He can do anything. But for some reason, God waited. And instead of saying, well, Adam blew it. And then we read on the next page. So the next day, Christ became flesh. Didn't happen that way. Wouldn't you think like right in the middle of the Red Sea, that would have been a good time for Jesus to come back before God splitted it? Splitted it? Did I just say splitted it? <laughs> it's Latin. Sophisticated. Splitoniosco. That's uh, Latin. for Yeah. Wouldn't that have been a good time? I mean, when Job lost his home and his family and all that, wouldn't that have been a good time? When all of Israel was getting ready to go in exile and they blew it, wouldn't that have been a good time? No. God had a very specific time and season for Jesus to come. Now, I'm not God, so I can't give you specific reasons, but I have some ideas. We're told, for example... In the book of Daniel, when you you start digging down deep, and we're not going to today, you never, on Sunday morning, it's it's just a bit much. But 70 weeks are spoken of in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. And when you read deeper, you find out that there's 70 groups of seven years. That's 490 years. 69 of those groups of seven years have been lived out. There's a parachute of time in the church age. And the seventh, the 70th one, another seven years, is about to unleash soon, I believe. 
But when you, if you missed all that, you're thinking, what? I don't even know where the book of Daniel is. Let me tell you something. It's not random. When Christ came, now I believe that God, I, I can't imagine that moment in heaven where God turned around to all the heavenly beings and to the angels and he looked face to face into the eyes of his son. He said, now, son, is the time. We've waited for eternity, for this moment. And now the time has fully come. Oh, what a day that must have been. And Christ came. And when he came, even in human standards, it was, I'm telling you, the perfect time. The Roman Empire had conquered many countries. What that did is it opened up the road of travel for many to go. So when the gospel was getting ready to be spread, guess what? Perfect time. How would they communicate if they only came to one corner of the world except the Greek language had become universal? One of the first times and maybe the first time in human history where he could communicate in such a way that more people... When God saw the earth, trust me, if he can make the wings on a gnat, he knows the exact minuscule second when he turns to his son and says, the time has fully come. It's exciting when you begin to understand that God's plan, and you read in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity in heaven. And I might break out on song if you don't be careful. Okay, let's go to these props. Watch this. Each of these little blocks, if you can't see them, they represent a season in the life of human beings that is clearly laid out and divided with demarcation of different things. First, let me, let me give you an example. There were promises made to Adam that were not made to a Noah or an Abraham or a Moses or a David whoa, or to us. Almost lost a whole century there. <clears throat> For example, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam stepped off the line, he said, God said, I'm going to promise you there's going to be a seed and your seed is going to be an enmity with the serpent. But don't make any mistake. This seed, speaking of Christ, promised to Adam. He said, this seed, Christ, will crush the head of his enemy promise that was made right here. Then Noah comes along and says, look, I'm going to have to start over because of the way things have happened. And when you get off the boat, I'm going to make you a promise, a covenant. The word is, is used in the, in the New Testament. A new covenant I give to you. This is not a covenant I gave to Adam because I didn't have to. This is unique. I will never destroy the earth like I destroyed it now. I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky with a new promise. Then Abraham comes along. He says, look, Abraham, new promise. A promise that I didn't make to Adam. I'm going to make a nation. And you're going to be the father, I promise you. And I want you to look up in the stars. You remember the story. As many as the stars are, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And all you have to do is go to your, to your wife and make a child. And that's a promise. And so now Moses comes along many years later. And Moses is in pink. I don't know why. Moses comes along and God says a new promise. Because in Exodus for the first time, God begins to work with that nation for the first time, a community. And he makes this promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. You see, God didn't make that promise over here. 
It was a unique time for God for hundreds of years to focus in on a community for the express reason so that everyone will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt so that my fingerprint will be known into the world. So I'll be clear. Everybody will be clear. You see, Abraham, the world is going to know that I can bring a child through an older woman and make a nation. You see, Noah... I, the world is going to know that it was I who created the world and I can start over, me alone. So now we find ourselves at King David, a new promise, promise made to a king that says your throne will last forever and ever and ever, speaking of Christ. And then we come to Jesus Christ, the, what we would call the church age. And Jesus sits down at the end of the what we would call the Lord's Supper. And you remember what Christ said. A new what of those that know? Covenant. A new promise. That's not true here. Wasn't true here. Wasn't true here. Not true here. Not true here. All of these ages pointed to this. A very unique promise. And Jesus said, I make a new covenant with you. That through my blood, a promise will be made to you. That's not been made Forever and ever and ever in the past. And the promise is this. You can find a new righteousness through me and the promise of the blood. In Romans chapter 3, Paul speaks of this. And he begins to tell us in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. I was just doing some personal study this week. Very confusing, this book. If you get, if you start to read it, it's, it's very complicated. And in the day of Moses... As many of you know, there was the law. These were the rules, the regulations and whatnot. And, and they had to obey these laws. And in order to have a relationship, it was based on these laws that, that were given. Your righteousness was based on how well you obeyed these laws. And so when you're reading the first couple of chapters, you think, well, is it good or it's not good? Is it good or it's not good? Because he's talking about the law and how great it is. But now he gets to chapter 3 and look at the distinction as an example in Romans 3.21. He says, but now, not in the past, not, not here, not here, not here, not here. But now, Paul says, unique to your age, unique to your time, to your day, to your year, unique to that. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law, different than this season. Apart from the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, if you were living back in the day of pink, in the, in the day of Moses, if you disobeyed your parents, if you dishonored your parents, they would take you out and they would stone you. And I'm not talking about the kind of stone that some of you are sitting here thinking about. I'm talking about picking up big rocks and killing you. Thank God that on this day, there's a new righteousness apart from those regulations. Not only that, hang with me. These different periods of time, God gave specific tasks. Very simple. Watch. Here's the deal. You ready? You got your iPad out? It's going to be real complicated. Ready? Tend to the garden. That's it. <laughs> Don't eat from the tree. That was a command. But here's what I want you to do. I need you to tend to the garden. 
And tend to the garden means your wife is in the garden and you guys reproduce. It's all part of tending to the garden. That's all I'm asking you. Not complicated. Hey, Noah, I got one for you. Build a boat. And when you get off the boat, replenish the earth. That's it. Sometimes when we think about, oh, the task of God must be complicated. No, 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 no. Very simple. Here's one. Abraham, I need you to make a baby. I'm putting that one down. I'm going to go to the next one. That's it. I'm going to make a nation of you. You don't have to take a graduate level course in social studies. Just, you know where I'm going to go at. Moses, I want to, I want you to keep the law. I want you to make sure that you understand that I've put the words of God in your care. That's why I took you up to the mountain. That's why you carry it around in the sacred space called the ark. And you guard that thing with your life, son. In the end of Deuteronomy, you guard those words. Wherever you're walking, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're going, you guard those words. That's your job. You are to guard the words because those words point to something else. That's why in Romans chapter 3, at the, in verse 21... Paul says it this way. Hey, is it, is it a good to be a Jewish person? Was it good? Was that part of history good? He says, oh yeah. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision being a Jew? Much in every way. First of all, they have been, watch, entrusted with the very words of God. In other words, that was your job. And when I see that word entrust, man, I'm telling you, it may be one of the top ten weighty words of the Scripture. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told. And he told. He begins this story in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. He says this way. He begins the story. Let me tell you what it's like, guys. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, watch, and entrusted his property to them. Now, when you're reading these words... There is a time, 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 time for everything. You can't miss it. Jesus is looking and addressing our generation. And he says, there's a man, speaking of himself, going on a journey, which is temporary. He's not saying, I'm moving to Memphis for good. He says, I'm going on a journey. And when you go on a journey, you know what you do? You come back. He says, I'm coming back. And I'm giving you a specific timeline here to get something done. He called his servants. It's a privilege, but a servant, don't miss it, doesn't have a say-so in what the job description is. It speaks strongly, pungently, clearly to this generation, particularly in America, who's got a terrible infection called I want to do it my way. I I know what God's plan, but I'm, I'm going to do it my way. Churches often have this infection as much as anyone in the world that we're going to do it our way, that if there's a lot of people and the music is good, that's good enough for us. And God says, oh, please, someone ask me what the assignment is. You see, this story ends by these servants standing before God. And to some of them, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know why? Because they did 
the assignment. Suppose I ask my eight-year-old to put construction paper on the bottom of a box and I come back and instead he's put it on the wall. I am not going to say, great job, because the commendation, the reward, the A-OK, the attaboy, the thumbs up is only based on the job that was given. Are you with me so far? So when God says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to go on a journey. I'm going to be back. I'm going to call you. It's a privilege. And you're going to be my servant. It's not your choice. It's mine. It's not your plan. It's mine. It's not your assignment. It's mine. And I'm going to, here comes the weighty word, entrust you. Wow. I don't know if you can feel it. God looking you in the eyes and saying, I'm going to entrust you with my property. You know what the most precious cargo, the most precious property in the world is? People. You see, God so loved people. He so loved people that he was driven to send his son. It didn't say, man, I love creation so much. I'm sending my son Christ. He didn't say, man, I, I, I love programs. I love this, that, and the other. No, I love people so much. It's still his driving factor. So guess what? The assignment that we've been given to us, when we read the scripture, we say, okay, then here's the question that I hope, at least by now, that should be burning in your heart. Okay, so we got a specific time, a specific promise, and a specific job to accomplish. What is it? What is it? What's the job? What's the assignment? Honestly, I'm being, I'm being very uh, transparent with you. Not trying to be mean. Being very transparent. If you don't care, and I'm sure there are people, God bless you if you don't care, because there are chapters in my life, honestly, didn't care. If you don't care, if it were me, I'd make it my first prayer. If you're, if you're a Christian, I'd say, God, I'll be honest with you. I stopped caring what the assignment was. I don't care any longer. And I'm doing my thing. I'm coming to church. And, um, and quite frankly, here, here's, here's another nugget for you. It's tough, but it's true. It's so easy as a Christian to subtly drift into spiritual narcissism. What's good for me? What's man? I'm I get you know. I'm getting my Bible on. I'm I'm praying, man. That's that's man. I'm walking with God. And it's all about that, man. And God said, "That's good. I'm glad that you are walking with me. I'm glad that you are in rhythm with me. That's almost a given. It was a given that Adam would be in rhythm with God, and Noah would be, and Abraham would be, and Moses would be, and Noah and David would be. But just because we're in rhythm with God, there's still the assignment. We say, okay, what is the assignment? Are you ready? Are you burning for it yet? Hmm? Thank you. I got one yeah up here. I'm, I'm with you. Are you ready? We. I like that. Lions, tigers, and bears, you're doing good on that. It is so critical for us not to listen. It is so critical for us not just to become Christians for our own 
little personal spiritual growth. It's so much deeper than that. I mean, we look at this story and say, golly, what is it? What is the thing? And so often I believe that people think that if, if I know what it is, it's going to be so gargantua. This past weekend was boys day out. I'm kind of keeping you on track with what we're doing on our little adventures with my eight and nine year old. I made a commitment to you as a family to say, man, months ago, I'm going to spend more time with my boys and I, and we're doing it. We've done scavenger hunts and fishing trips and all that. Well, this weekend, somebody had come to me about a month ago when I opened my trap about all that and they came to me and said, Hey, I got an adventure for you. This guy works at the largest fire truck making plant up in Bradenton in the entire world. And he said, I'd like to invite you up and we'll I'll walk you through the plant and uh, you'll get to ride in a fire truck. So we did. We rode in the fire truck. We went in the back. There's 40 acres there. We went in the back and, and did the, the uh, siren and we got to punch the horns. And man, I was, I was right there with the boys. It was cool. <laughs> All right. Show of hands. How many have ever blown a horn in a fire truck? Oh, yeah. Okay. Several of you. Yeah. So a lot of you have. It's cool, right? For those of you. So I brought pictures back just to show you because we're family. And there we are with my friend Eric and sitting on the truck. But I brought this other picture by to show you something. Look at the size of that fire truck. Now, my oldest boy in the yellow shirt turns 10 this week. And he's pretty tall on the scale for 10-year-olds. His head doesn't even reach, barely reaches the top of that wheel well thing there. When you look, I brought that picture in because it's kind of like, wow, right? I brought that picture in because I'm telling you, when we start to ask ourselves, okay, what's the assignment of God? I think many of us like, oh, I'm not sure I want to know because we think of it as like, oh, he's going to ask me to build a boat. <laughs> Some of you are 85. You're going to, he's going to ask me to have a child. <laughs> But there was never a time in history where God didn't ask something, even if it were monumental. He said, I'll be right there with you. Don't ever think I'll ask you to do something that you cannot do without me. You can't do it humanly, but you can do it with me. I don't know how to build a boat. No, no problem, Noah. I'll give you the plans. I'll give you what type of wood to use. I'll even build a little crew around you so that you can get it done. Abraham, I really, I can't have a child. Hey, don't forget, I am the creator. Don't forget, I can do it. So if you shy away from the, the reason, the, the assignment for that, I'm telling you, it's in God's hands. So if you're in one of our act groups, we have, uh, we have put together a vision book. We kind of launched this a month or two ago. And, I, and we did it in a cartoon version. And I like things simple, simple. So right from the beginning, it says the what. In other words, for this church, not for this church, for any Christian, for every church, this is the assignment. It's not like we came up with it. And the assignment is simple. What did Christ tell us to do? Love God, love people, tell others about Christ, and finally make disciples. Now, as Americans, we would say, can we go back to that list? If Americans were like, love God, love people. I love that part. I just love that part. Tell others about Christ. Okay, it's getting a little scary for some of you. Tell others about Christ. 
make disciples. Who's got an eraser? When I look at every season of life, Adam, here's what I want you to do, man. I want you to tend to the garden, but don't eat of that tree. Whoops. Blew it. Hey, Noah, when you get off the boat, I want you to replenish the planet. Nope, gonna build Tower of Babel and we're gonna just, we're gonna just hang out in one spot. God said, really? He had to scatter them. Hey, here's the deal, Abraham. I, I, I need you to go to Sarah, your wife, talking about that baby part. No, I think I'll go to Hagar, my servant, and create an Ishmael. How are we doing? What would you do if God were your boss or you were God and you were the boss? I mean, isn't there one of these somewhere? Like, dude, I just said make a baby. Yeah. I just, I just said replenish the earth. What's the, what's the tower thing? I gave you everything. Kangaroos, armadillos, gnats, mosquitoes. One tree I said don't eat from. Come on. Just keep the law, can you? Nah, I'm going to have to exile you. I mean, when you look at it and you look backwards, you think, what was wrong with them? Oh, yeah? Make disciples. What's wrong with us? Come on, man, God would say. Love God, love people. Tell others about Christ. Make disciples. It's as simple as tend to the garden, make a baby, build a boat, replenish the earth, procreate. It's that simple. And yet we look at it and think, ah, it's as big as a fire truck. I can't do it. And God says, that's right, you can't. You can't. But I can through you. And when, watch, when we miss it, guess what happens? big picture. It's not that God is ticked off. We reduce the ability for people to see him in the world. God said to Moses, if you keep these commandments, nations around will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. If you replenish the earth, Noah, people will know the creator is alive. If you just obey me, Adam, you will know Eve and the least will know that there is a God that you're being obedient to. Abraham, if you just, I'm going to make a nation. You can't do that, but I can. And if you did it, the fingerprint of God will be visible for all to see. And it is no different for us. If we love God, if we love people in a very real way, but take it further if we tell others about Christ, but we take it to that last point, and you know we speak a lot of this here at 360, we make disciples. That's the reason. The entire book here, this entire book, other than the first few pages, here's how we're going to get it done. Because if we don't have a strategy, we're just going to talk Christianese. And I know I can pinpoint at least a 100 people sitting in this room that say, I am done with it. I am done about just with talking about it. 
I'm done even using the word discipleship unless we're actually going to do it. I'm done with just playing church because the world outside is turning to other gods. And they need desperately to see the reality of a God. What's the first step? Or just move from a big circle and get into a smaller group. We call them act groups. Get into a small community so that you begin to love people in a real way. So they begin to really understand how it is to have true community. We can't have it on a Sunday morning. Come on. And then when you're in there, begin to build those small circles. It takes time. But I'm telling you, something miraculous happens. You see, in the very front of this book, we call the 360 Vision, in an hour or so, it's got cartoons in it, believe it or not. I'm sure you can believe that. There is at the beginning here what we call the big why. Why are we doing this? And the big why, it's up on the screen. It says this, you are designed specifically to glorify God by completing his work on earth. You see, when we complete his work on earth, something happens. Now, let me tell you where we're at here at 360. I'll give you a 360 update. This is not a budget update. It's not a program update. It's a people update. Here are the things that we're seeing happening in what we call these small circles, iron sharpening iron. They're tough. There's sometimes conflict. There's tension. You see, these are the relationships that God calls us to. There are two things I see happening. First is this. Iron, when iron sharpens iron, it begins to grind. I've been in ministry for over 30 years, and I've never been more revealed than I am right now at 360. And a lot of you are like, ah, revealed. I don't like to be revealed. Because in the heart, we're like Adam. We like to hide. And we're very safe in a big circle. We can even be pretty safe when it comes to a, a small group or a Bible study. But when you begin to take it to that next level, things come out. And, and there are tension. There are times there's intersections with people. But if you're courageous enough and willing enough to come through those circles and have one-to-one time and really begin to talk and deep, deep down, something starts to happen. We can't, we're not hiding anymore. And those old things are, are coming out so that we can take care of them and chisel them. And when we chisel them, you know what happens? We look more like Christ and not like us. If we hide for the rest of our lives, we will always, until the day we die, look like Adam. And the world is not attracted to Adam. They're attracted to Christ. Many of you know I'd rather just be transparent and straight up with you. Two years ago, my small circle relationship looked me in the eyes and says, you're a leader. You lack courage. You're going to need more courage. And as a leader, you'd say, how dare you say that to me? But you know why I didn't say that? Because I had built a relationship that was safe enough that I knew He had my back. He loved me enough. You want to talk about loving people. That's love. And I'm telling you from that point on, I said, okay, that's something that together and through the power of God, 
I'm going to let God raise up in me. There came a time where I would say to this person, hey, you know what? There's some edges that probably need to be softened in the way that you deal with people. And okay, you see what was happening is that those things were coming out and Christ wants them to come out and they'll never come out the way we play church. They won't. I know it feels good and comfortable, but good and comfortable does not attract people to Christ. We have proven it year after year after year after year. I'm scared to get in a small circle. You might say, hey, take a number. Me too. I'm scared to be revealed. Get in line right behind me. I am too. But if you do it Christ's way and you love God first and you love people and you form a relationship that is safe and it takes time, you'll be willing to say, I need to hear from you. I'm sure like everybody else, I've got blind spots. And the result is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Trust me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm hitting some buttons here today. First time in 30 years of leading churches from 50 to literally 5,000 that I've ever felt like, wow, this was what the assignment was about. First time. Second thing that's happening here. Here comes prop number two. Let's say, for example, you're blue. Let's say your small circle and your discipleship can be mentoring and it can be, you know, equal iron sharpening iron. Your small circle relationship is yellow. My proposal to you is that if the world only sees you as blue, they're just seeing you. And if they're only seeing yellow, they're just seeing yellow. They're just seeing you. In other words, you bring to the table all that you are. But God is not finished with that yet. And so what happens and what we're seeing happen here is so cool. This is the update. Is this. Oh, wait. Wrong side. Is this. Watch. The best of blue is taken on by yellow. And the best of yellow is taken on by blue. And when they come close together, there's something really amazing that happens. Is that we get the best qualities of both. Guess what we look like then? Christ. You see, Christ was courageous, but he also had a soft side. You see, if I was just soft, then people don't see the true Christ. I needed some boldness to rub off on me. Maybe there's a third person that comes along and says, man, I'm orange. And you you got to work on forgiveness. And when we're willing to get close enough to one another... The best attributes that God has put in you begin to rub off on me. And we begin to look like Christ. And the fingerprint of God is seen in this world. And I would say, touchdown, mission accomplished. You cannot do it on a Sunday morning. Not the assignment. You cannot even do it completely 
in a small group, although it's a great first step. And if you don't make that step, you'll never get to this ever. But when you go further, I'm telling you, you heard me talk a lot about the, the what, the discipleship, the how. We do it here at 360. Every church should have a, a, a unique way of doing it. But today, I hope you hear this. This is the why of discipleship. This is the why we get the, the thing accomplished, the assignment accomplished, so that we can show Christ in the world. Our rough edges, they get, they get softened. Our boldness increases, and God will be seen in the world. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, God, for this weighty word and trust. It is a word, God, that bears so much responsibility. It goes so far beyond a recommendation, a suggestion from you, God. It even goes beyond a job description. Because it has so much value. You're entrusting us, God. With the most valuable thing to your heart. People. We look back over the ages. The seasons, God. Of Adam. Of Noah. Of Abraham. Of Moses. Of David. And we've seen how the assignment, the unique assignment for every season given to them has often been discarded. God, will we be different? Will we understand that there is a Savior on a journey who is returning? Who will see our work only in light of the assignment given to us and nothing else. Nothing we create, nothing that feels good, but the assignment. So today, Father, I pray for your church. I'd like to pray specifically, God, for this church today. That if there are those that say, gosh, I really had don't, didn't have much mind for an assignment. I came to Christ to get saved to meld a relationship with God, to walk with Him, to love Him. And beyond that, I didn't think much about what needs to be done. I pray, God, for the Holy Spirit and Your Word to come together and bring conviction and a sense of, your, of what needs to be done. I pray, God, for those who may have lost their passion to accomplish your work. I pray, God, for those who are afraid to accomplish. They feel like a little boy looking up at a large fire truck. Pray that you'll convince them, God, that it is you, as you've always through every season convinced people that it is you and not them. I pray, Father, for this church that we will avoid distraction fiercely. And that we'll keep our eyes on the job that you've given to us. And keep our nose to the grindstone and our hands busy. So that at the end of time, not only will you say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. 
but more than that, God, that the world around us will see the fingerprint of our amazing Creator. And for that, God, we would give you glory and work and work and work with all we have. For Jesus, amen.